Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, this morning we begin our Christmas series, and I'm excited about this particular Christmas series because it's a little different than what we would normally do. It's called the Christmas question, and Christmas usually raises a number of questions, but this particular question that we're going to look over the next four, three to four weeks is probably the most important because this particular question changes everything. And so it's one question with multitude of different answers. We're going to look at four of those different answers and take a particular answer each week as we go throughout the Christmas story. And today, if you think about the questions that you have, there is no shortage of ways to find the answers to the questions that you have. Over the past decade, you've enjoyed the benefit of Google. If you needed a recipe for Christmas, if you needed help with... uh, a verse that you were trying to find. I mean, there's just so many ways you can utilize Google. But then over the past two years, we've been blessed with even an even more in-depth look at answering some of our questions called ChatGPT or artificial intelligence. And if you look behind me, I went ahead and asked ChatGPT to help me with a little bit of my sermon this morning. Um, if you've never seen this, it's going to be hard for you to read, but it, I told it, write me a sermon introduction on the importance of God being human and Here we go. It's going to do it. Uh, Good morning, beloved congregation. Today, as we gather in this sacred space, let us dwell upon the truth of the echoes throughout the corridors of time. And you just keep going, and it's just going to give you all of this information. It's incredible. Uh, I'll ask another question. Why did God become human? And suddenly, it's going to do its thing and give you a variety of reasons why God became human. Now, as exciting as ChatGPT is, and I know many of you use it, matter of fact, students are using this now at a rate where teachers have to run it back through a translator to make sure you're not just cheating and doing the whole thing this way, but it is incredible what it offers. But what I want to caution you on is that if we're going to learn about God, we got to go back to his word. And as great as ChatGPT is, and if you were to look and read, it may have been hard for you to see on the screen today, it it gives a great response to why did God become human. Actually, it's better than what I came up with, I guarantee it. So go ask it on your own time. You can read it after today. But I want to just impress upon you that no matter how good artificial intelligence gets, we have God's word, and it's still better. And I want to show you a graphic that maybe illustrates this a little bit better today. You may have seen this particular graphic. On the bottom is every book of the Bible, every chapter laid out from Genesis to Revelation. And all of those particular arcs are the 63,000 different cross-references back and forth throughout Scripture. Now keep in mind, what makes this so amazing is this is better than artificial intelligence because this is... 40 different authors, 66 books, over 1,500 years on three different continents in three different languages, and somehow it's all tied together. It's what's called the first hyperlinked book, which is the Bible. And so as we look today at the question that we're chasing throughout this month, why did God become human? 
It's important to go back to his word. And as great as ChatGPT is, and you know, it's interesting, ChatGPT is always learning. So maybe it'll come up with this on its own or if it's really bad and it's influenced by humans like everything else, it could become bad one day and not be as helpful. But I would just want to impress upon you the importance of going back to God's word to understand this. But there's no shortage of ways to answer our questions. And as we look at this particular question over this next month, why did God become human? It's important to look back to God's word because he gives us answer after answer after answer if you just look. Now, personally, I am most comfortable when I can spend time in a passage and just look at one particular passage. But you realize that God becoming human is throughout scripture. I mean, there are just thousands of references to why he became human. Christmas is what changed everything. It's where God came to dwell with humanity. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. For every other religion, it's what you can do to get to God. But for Christianity, it's what God did to come to you. It has less to do with our performance. It has everything to do with God's love. And so the event of Christmas, while we're actually never commanded to celebrate Christmas in the Bible, it is important to recognize what happened at Christmas. And we do get the benefit of that throughout our lives. So why did God become human? Today, we're going to answer this in one part, to defeat sin and death. Why did God become human? He came, became human to defeat sin and death. Now, for the skeptics in the room today, most people today struggle with the fact is, was Jesus God? Right? If you were to ask people out on the streets, was Jesus God? You'll get a, a variety of answers. You'll get, well, he was a good man, or he was a prophet, or he was somebody who you could be trusted. But most of the time in modern thinking, the question is, is Jesus God? And the answer is yes. You realize in the first century, though, that wasn't the problem. If you look in the book of First John, in First John chapter 4, we're not going to flip there today, and in Second John 7, the question was not around his deity, whether he was God, it was around his humanity, whether he was in the flesh. So, matter of fact, that's what John warns the, the people in First John. He says, be careful because there's some out there saying that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that he was just a, a deity that came down to rescue humanity. So today, it's like reversed. We struggle to think that Jesus is God. And in the first century, they were struggling to think that Jesus was human. Well, why does that matter? I'm glad you asked. Jesus' deity and his humanity are so important into understanding what he's done for us. It's what theologians call a hypostatic union. It's the fact that he's fully God and he's fully man. Now, in our human minds, we want to balance everything out, right? We want to be like, sometimes he was God, and sometimes he was man. And as Wes read earlier in John 1, 14, it's that he was full of grace and truth. He's fully God, and he's fully man. And the fact that he's fully God and the fact that he's fully man is, is, is important to understand because it makes much greater sense what he did on our behalf. If you find it hard to reconcile today that he's fully God and fully man— uh, that's a good place to be. You don't want a God that you can fully understand. And if you have a five hard time reconciling how those two things could be true, uh, other things happen like that all the time. It's usually a matter of perspective. I brought a stick today. I'd like for you to point to the end of the stick. Now, some of you are going to say, this is the end of the stick. And some of you are going to say, this is the end of the stick. And you're both right. It's still a stick. Right? And so it could be true. It's usually a matter of perspective. There's going to be times you read scriptures and you're going to see God's or Jesus's deity come through. You're looking at this end. There's going to be other times you're going to see his humanity and it's this end. 
And those can both be true at the exact same time as we look at Scripture and we understand. And so today as we look at that, I want you to look at the Christmas story, perhaps through a different lens. Flip over to Matthew chapter 1 as we look for the answer to the question of why did God become human. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, you've heard this story now, depending on for some of you, maybe dozens if not hundreds of times. But I want you to think through the lens of why did God become human? He became human to defeat sin and death. And from the very first parts of the Christmas story, you see this become true. And you see this as a reality. In verse 18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the very beginning of the Christmas story, we get two clues to who Jesus is. One is surrounding his mission, what he came here to do, and one is considering his, his, his prophetic origin. Where does he come from? What, who is he? And we see that in verse 21, where it says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Why did God become human? It was to save us from sin and death. And we see that from the very get-go of the Christmas story. Jesus, his name is the Greek variant of Joshua, which means God saves. When Joseph is told what to do, because he's got, his first problem is that it's a divine incarnation, right? The Holy Spirit overshadows Mary and, and Jesus is, is come, comes into the world through Mary. That's his first thing. And he's trying to process that. As he's doing that, the angel gives the name of who Jesus is supposed to be. And we find out that he's here to save his people from their sins. But then the second part of that, we see that they would refer to him as Emmanuel, which means God with us. Once again, we see his humanity on display. In God's economy, sin had to be dealt with. If you remember in the Old Testament, there was all kinds of sacrifices in order to take care of the sin problem that was there. And in God's economy, that sin requires a sacrifice. And we learn from very early in the Christmas story that Jesus is the sacrifice that would come to help us. So God came as a human to defeat sin. And the question today is, well, then how does that happen? God came as a human to defeat sin. What does that look like? And let's take a look at a couple of different reasons why. First off, if Jesus was a human, or because Jesus was human, he became a sinless sacrifice for you and me. The first thing that you have to understand is that as he became human, he took our place, right? He, he not only took our place, though, he lived a life. Matter of fact, he lived the life that Adam couldn't. It wasn't always supposed to be this way, you see. In the garden, God had put Adam and Eve together and... They were supposed to be in communion with God, and, and there was no sin at the beginning. But what happened? Sin tainted that world, and, and ultimately it re- ended in death for them. 
Jesus became a sinless, perfect sacrifice because he lived a perfect life. In all of the Old Testament sacrificial system, if you remember how that would occur, is you'd have to take a a spotless lamb to cover over sins, and then once a year, the high priest would have to cover over his sins, and there was just such a process behind this because no one was perfect. And if, if you couldn't find a certain sacrifice, you had to have a whole other list of rules and regulations. And Jesus, it's what Hebrews becomes a better sacrifice for us. Because he was human. Everything else was all on, on animals and trying to cover over our sins. And Jesus comes on the scene as a human so that he could pay for our sins. Take a look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He gives a great description of who Jesus was and the fact that he lived a sinless life. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Matter of fact, he's actually quoting back another one of those arcs from earlier on in the picture. That particular arc is out of Isaiah, so it's tied back again. When they hurled their inserts, insults, verse 23, at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus became a sinless, perfect sacrifice, and he was only able to do that because he was human, because he was able to live a life that we couldn't. And as he lived a life that we couldn't, he not only shows us how to live life, right, but he did it in such a way so that he would become that perfect, sinless sacrifice. The second thing that he did is that he reconciled us to God. He reconciled us to God. There was a chasm between us and God, and it was called sin. And Jesus bridges that gap. And he's able to reconcile us back to God. He had no sin, but yet he became sin for us. You've probably heard this verse before in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul is trying to help the Corinthian church understand what God has done on their behalf. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's where you can all say thank you. Right? God is not counting your sins against you. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then here's the important part to understand. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God recon, or Jesus reconciled us to God, and he did that through becoming a human and coming to earth and dying on your behalf. He literally became sin because he didn't have any sin, and so he took on your sin so that you could be right with God. He was uniquely positioned to do this because he was both perfect, and yet he was both human at the same time. And what makes this even more amazing as you think about it is because God has done this. And so I know you came in here expecting to hear the Christmas story, and we're going to talk about the Christmas story, but we are continually benefiting from the gift of Jesus. You ever have those gifts that wear out after time? Like, I don't even think I could tell you what I got for Christmas. Like, last year, maybe. Two years ago, absolutely not. And yet, for more than 2,000 years, we are continually getting this, this gift that we don't even, days, even acknowledge 
We don't even realize that he reconciled us to God. It had nothing to do with us. But here's the cool part. He's now transferred that because Jesus, once he ascended, went to the right hand of the Father. And he says, actually, what you're going to do now is you're going to be my ambassadors. And you're going to help be a part of the process to reconcile people back to God. So if you can't get excited about the fact that God took on sin for you, how humbling is it that he would take on sin for us and then say, you know what? I'm going to leave. It's up to you guys now. You get the chance to help be a part of reconciling people to God. And I love that so many people at our church take that responsibility seriously. And you're doing things and involved in ways in which you're helping people understand that they need to be reconciled to be back with God. So he became a sinless sacrifice. He was only able to do that because he was human. He became a, or he reconciled us to God, and he had a unique position to do that, being both God and man. Number three, he became our substitute. He took our place. Where we should have paid for our sins, just like he said in Second Corinthians, he became sin for us. And not only did he pay for your sins, but he covered over everything. It wasn't like it was just a little bit. No, he covered for past, present, future, every sin you'll ever have. He's covered for that. Jesus took on humanity to satisfy God's requirements. And in God's requirements would be love and justice, right? You see God's love, but you also see his justice. And he became our substitute. He took on our sins. If you read in Romans, in chapter six of Roman, or chapter three of Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. And if you were to stop reading from there, you'd be really disappointed because it's like game over. But the second part of that verse is, but the gift of God is eternal life. He took on our death. He took on our sin. And the reason why God became human to defeat sin and death, those two are so inextricably linked because sin leads to death. And so as we look for why is this gift so important and why does it matter that God became human, he became our substitute. Romans chapter 3, verse 25, gives a little bit better picture of this than I can probably explain, which is why you should always read, by the way, Go back and read God's word. Don't take our word for it (laughs) because we're human. We're we're fallible. What's it say in Romans chapter three, verse 25? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. So he he didn't put you there. Your name's not there. My name's not there. It's Christ. God provided Christ as a sacrifice, as a substitute. It's uh, the theological term here would be substitutionary atonement. If you, if you want to geek out on that for a while, But what does it say in verse 25? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. So, right, Jesus' blood covers over our sins. Just as in the Old Testament, the animal's blood covered over sin, Jesus' blood covers over our sin. And to be received by faith, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies for those who have faith in Jesus. Now, to read that, like read that three times and it'll make more sense. But what did he do? God's requirements are love and justice. God loves you, but he hates sin. And you cannot separate those two. God loves you and he hates sin. And there has to be a way to reconcile those. And the way that that is reconciled is through Jesus Christ. The way that Jesus Christ is able to do that is one, because he's human, and two, because he's God. Or one, because he's God, and two, because he's human. His humanity and his deity, we are continually benefiting from. Because he is our substitute. 
And not only is he our substitute, not only have we been forgiven, but we've been adopted, we've been justified. So not only have our sins been taken care of, but they've been paid for. And then now we have this great standing, not because of anything we've done, but because of who Jesus is. And we get that because why did God become human? It was to save us from sin and death. And so as you look at what he's done on our behalf, it's amazing. He became a sinless sacrifice for us. He reconciled us to God. He became our substitute. And then lastly, he became our mediator. He became our mediator. When I was in college, I took a class, business law. It was probably one of my favorite classes. And we got to sit in one time on a mediation. Now, for most people, unless you're a lawyer or somebody that's really into that, you may not think it's that exciting. But the great mediators understand both sides. Because when it comes to the table, everybody has what they want, right? This side has what they want, and this side has what they want. And the greatest mediators are able to look at it from both sides and understand what each person longs for. God longs for love and justice, and Jesus understands that in a way that you and I could never comprehend. But he also understands, because he's human, what it's like to live here. And what it's like to be human, Hebrews would say later, right, that he, was, he lived a life, he was tempted in every way we are, yet he didn't sin. But in order for him to defeat sin and death, we needed a mediator, someone who would come along and understand both sides, and that's who Jesus is. He, he is so good at this. He's like a defense lawyer on your behalf. Like, no matter how many times you screwed up, um, God doesn't see you in light of your sin. He sees you in light of Christ's sacrifice. And I hope you never get over that. That what you deserve, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But through Jesus Christ and what he did and what he was uniquely positioned to do as he came as a human was to mediate on our behalf. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God and mediator between mankind. And then how does Timothy say that, or Paul say this to Timothy? The man, Christ Jesus his humanity. Why did God become human? So that he could defeat sin and death. We are continually benefiting from Jesus's humanity and his deity. The last part that we need to look at today is that God came as human to defeat death. So at first, his humanity helped him defeat sin, right? He defeated our sin on the cross, right? He paid for our sin on the cross, I should say, and he defeated sin and death when he was raised from the dead, Right? So there's kind of two parts there, but they're so closely linked. Jesus had to be human so he could die. If he just shows up as Jesus, I'm God, he can't die. But he shows up as Jesus and as human, he can die. And the only way to beat Satan is to rob him of his most powerful weapon, which is death. Think all the way back to the garden. What was the response for Adam and Eve, when, he, when Satan's trying to trick them, what does he say? You will surely not, what? Die. Satan knew the only chance to ever get back at God, to ever try and have any influence over humanity was death. Because a dead person can do nothing to restore their relationship with God. But you and I today are not dead, at least not yet. And we get the chance to be reconciled to God because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Because sin leads to death, he took on our sin at the cross. He took care of death at the resurrection. Uh, Jesus was the only person in history who was able to predict his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and then go do all of that. Which makes it amazing, because if you look throughout the Gospels, he was like, hey, this is not going to go well. This is how it's going to end. And they're like, no, no. 
But what did he say? Yeah, I'm going to come back. And he did that. Hebrews chapter 2 gives us one other place in scripture to look at. There's, like I said, hundreds of these. This was the hardest part of this entire message was, which 75 verses do I not walk you through this morning? Because it is just riddled throughout the pages of scripture to show the importance of why God became human. We're going to spend the next three weeks after this looking at three other areas of why it was so important for God to become human. But you understand there's probably a hundred different reasons why God became human. But these are the most important ones to look at. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews gives one more response of why it's so important that God became a human. And if you can't get excited about Christmas because you're not into lights and gifts and the commercialization of Christmas, which is kind of where I fall, you've got to be excited about this. You just have to be. This is the gift that has been giving for over 2,000 years. And for sometimes we're like, yeah, good job, Jesus. And we're like, no, this is, this is huge, right? He's defeated sin and he's defeated death. Nobody else is doing that. Nobody else is trying that. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but it's Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make an atonement for the sins of the people. Reminding you, he had to be human so he could die, but he became like us so that he could defeat death. Now, I love this particular passage in Hebrews because you know that over 70% of Americans are afraid of one thing. You know what it is? Death. 70% of Americans are afraid of death. Now, if you're a Christian here today, you don't have to fear death. I get it. We all want to fall asleep and die. Like, nobody's like, give me a car accident, give me cancer. Like, no one is asking for those things. I understand being afraid of how you might die. But you do not have to fear death. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 14 and 15, the second part of 14. That he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, right? His most powerful weapon is death. And Jesus defeated it. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You do not, if you're a Christian, have to fear death. And you don't have to live that way. When you think of how Paul describes death, what does he describe death as? A nap. That's how he describes it. It's like taking a nap. It will be so quick, you will be in the presence of the Lord, you won't even know that you died. At least initially. And what the writer of Hebrews is trying to help us understand is that God became a human because that was like the, like the people that he's trying to save. He became a human so he could defeat sin so that we no longer have to fear death. He came as one of Abraham's descendants, right? Jesus was a Jew and he, he came to Jews to save them, but he also comes to you and to me today. And he became fully human in every way so that he might understand what it's like to be you and me. Pick your religion or pick no religion. There is no one else on the planet that's done what Jesus has done for you. It's all about what you can do to get back to God. So if you 
want to be a Muslim, then you're going to practice the five different pillars of Islam, and you're going to do that. If you want to be a Hindu or a Buddhist, you're going to do all these other things. If you want to have no religion at all, you're just going to exist, and then you're going to die. But the problem is, you're still afraid of death, and you're still separated from God. It's interesting, if you ask chat GPT, is Jesus the only way to be saved? It'll give you a really good answer. And then the second part of that answer is usually, but you might look and be sensitive because there's other, no, that it is the only way. And God makes that clear in his word. And so today, as we look at what Jesus did, I think back to Paul, what he said in 1 Corinthians, where he said, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you're still in your sins and your faith is futile. But we know that he raised from the dead. 500 people saw him after his resurrection. Uh, the, the Romans knew about it. Josephus wrote about it. The Bible writes about it. There is evidence and proof today that Jesus did indeed raise from the dead. And so the great news that I have for you today, if everything else falls apart this Christmas season, and it might, if everything else goes the wrong way, your biggest issue, which is your sin, and your longest-term issue, which is death, have been taken care of. And as we look at a little baby in a manger and we try to wrap our heads around what indeed the implications of that are, I hope you understand that it proves three things. Number one, Christmas proves that God cares. Because why else would he send his son, his one and only son, to rescue you? So number one, Christmas proves God cares. Number two, Christmas proves that God can be trusted. He has thought of everything. And I know for you who are prepping for Christmas, you've you got your lists ready and you've got your recipes ready and you've got everything. And at the end of the day, somebody's going to forget the eggs. Somebody's going to forget the milk. Somebody's going to forget wrapping paper. Something's going to go wrong. God has thought of everything because he is the creator and originator of life. And so if he says this is what we need to do, then that's, that's what we need to do. So Christmas proves that God cares. Number two, Christmas proves that God can be trusted. And number three, Christmas proves that God loves you. It just does. It proves that he loves you. He could have just stayed as some sort of cosmic killjoy up in heaven and been like, good luck, figure it out. He could have programmed us all just to automatically follow him. But what did Hebrews say? He doesn't love angels as far as he loves you, his pride of his creation, his humanity. He didn't die for angels, he died for you. And so today the question becomes, are you trusting him? Like, have you settled that in your heart? C.S. Lewis famously said that Jesus was either a liar, he was either a lunatic, or he was Lord. Either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. He's one of the three. If he's a liar, that's a lot to unpack because there's too much evidence that he wasn't. If he's a lunatic, he was crazy in the sense that he loved people in a crazy way, but not in the, in the way that we normally use that word. But number three, if he's Lord, which I think he is, I think the pages of scripture shout the fact that he is, that he was a God man that came to rescue us, then it changes everything. Because if he's in control, that means you can't be. And so if you've never taken this step, if you remember back to that one passage, it says that uh, Jesus' blood was shed so that it might be received through faith. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. What he's calling you for is not perfection. What he's calling for you to do is to trust him. 
to acknowledge that sin separates you from God and that the only way that that can be solved, the only way that can be bridged is through Jesus Christ. And if you've never had the chance in your life to settle that and to say, Romans 10, 9 through 10 says it this way, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if he's Lord, you can't be, and you confess in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never done that, you can do that right here, right now right as you're sitting. You can confess, God, I believe that you are indeed Lord, that you've paid for my sins and that you are the only way for eternal life and to pay for that. And I'd encourage you to do that right now. You don't have to bow your head. You don't have to say a prayer. You can just settle that right now. And if you do that, then I'd encourage you to take the next step, which is be baptized, which is a public declaration of that decision. We're going to celebrate that here in not in the first service, but in the second service, the Egan sisters are going to be baptized. So, sorry, you won't be able to see that. I guess you can come back in and, and watch that but really cool. But as we wrap up, why did God become human? It was to defeat sin and death. And I can think of no other way to complete our services today as a time of communion. And during communion, what are we called to do? We're called to remember what he's done for us. We're called to celebrate our, what we've been delivered from, which is our sin and our death, and to remember our inheritance as we go forward, right? From, from going on forward, because of what Jesus has done, we get the chance to do that. And so what I would like to do as we close our time today is just give you a moment to pause and reflect. God, thank you for being human and being our Savior. If you, if you aren't familiar with that, then ask God to reveal himself to you. If you find yourself as a skeptic, can I tell you you're in good company? I'm a recovering skeptic myself. But ask God to reveal him to you through his word, and I can promise you one thing, he absolutely will. For the rest of us, may we prepare our hearts for a time to remember the body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And then here in just a minute, uh, Pastor West will come up and lead us through a time of communion. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.